seasons don't last forever. We planted this Japanese maple in our front yard the year that Isaac was born. When we first planted it, it wasn't very big. Uh, It was barely taller than Isaac, actually. And we planted it, and I wondered if it was even going to grow or if it was even going to make it. It was so delicate, and I thought I didn't know if it would make it through the first winter. We watered it, fertilized it, mulched it, all those things that you do to take care of a tree. And it did grow. Over the years, it grew. It grew to be not only taller than Isaac and taller than everyone in the house, but taller than the house. That's what it looked like when we first planted it about. You see, there's a big change. The funny thing about trees, you never see them growing. Never stand in front of a tree and try and watch it grow. And you don't see the tree growing, and yet it grows. You can go back in a year, two years, or in this case, seven or eight years, and you can see that the tree has grown. It's like that with trees. It's like that with children. Over the years, you don't always see it. You can't stand in front of them and watch them grow. Yet they grow all the same. You look at a year and you look back at photos from two, three, four, or five years ago. And you realize that growth has taken place even while you didn't see it. Somehow you turn your back and they're teenagers or they're going to college or they're moving out of the house and growth has taken place whether you wanted it to or not. Seasons don't last forever. For some people that statement seasons don't last forever is a sad statement. Because for some people with their kids, they just want it to last forever. Their kids might be at a moment or at a place where they're so adorable, they're so loving, they're so cute. Everything they do is photograph worthy. Everything they do is just so cute. You just, they just want them to stay at this age forever. And for some people, the statement that seasons don't last forever It's a sad statement. For other people, I say seasons don't last forever in parenting, and it's a relief. (laughs) You may be in a place as a parent where you're thinking, thank God seasons don't last forever. You wonder, how long am I going to have to have a diaper pail in the house? And is that smell ever going to leave? Will they ever become potty trained? Or am I going to have the kid that goes to high school not potty trained, right? I mean, as a parent, you just freaked out. You don't know what's going to happen. Or maybe your kids are a little older. They became a teenager and you feel like they lost their brain. And you wonder if someday they're going to get it back. And you are glad that seasons don't last forever. You've got kids that push the limits and push your buttons And you are counting on the fact that one day this season will be over. Seasons don't last forever, but I don't think that statement should make us sad. I don't think it should comfort us or give us relief. 
I think what it should really do is give us motivation. I think the idea and the reality of the fact that seasons don't last forever ought to motivate us to intentional parenting and intentional ministry. Some of you in here are parents, some of you are grandparents, some of you don't have kids, but you have influence and you are linked to the next generation in some way. You may be linked to the next generation through a class that you teach here on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights. You may be linked to the next generation through a niece, through a nephew, through a grandchild. You may be linked to the next generation through a a neighborhood kid or even a child in this church who you have influence over. In some way, we are linked to the next generation. But the season you have to influence that child and that generation will not last forever. You know that, I know that, and yet we don't always live like it's true. We think it is going to last forever. We think there's always tomorrow. We think there's always another opportunity. Seasons don't last forever. Your influence over your one-year-old is once in your life. After that, there are two. You never know them again as a one-year-old. Same as five, same as ten, same as a teenager. You get that season once. And that's your chance to influence them. So what are we to do with the time that we have? What are we to do with this opportunity? What are we to do? What does God want us to do with these seasons of influence? You ever been completely blindsided by a message or a sermon? Happened to me a couple months ago. I was sitting at a leadership conference with some of our leaders from our church and we were sitting there and I had gone to this conference before and and I kind of knew how it went and so I was ready for the next speaker. Uh, me, I don't know how you are when you're at a conference or something listening. I'm always ready with my notebook and my pen and I'm ready to write and, and I, I knew the next speaker was coming so I have my notebook, I had my pen, I'm ready to take notes. They introduced the next speaker as a man named Reggie Joyner and all I knew about Reggie Joyner was he was a children's pastor. And so I thought, well, I, you know, I'm going to sit, I'm going to take notes because I'm going to get some ideas for the children's ministry at Mount Hope. I'll take them back for Mr. King and Mrs. Driscoll and they'll bring them back and be able to institute some ideas for our children's ministry. And that was my thought, my idea going and listening to this talk. But about 30 seconds, 45 seconds in, I got completely blindsided because I realized this wasn't a talk about children's ministry. It wasn't a talk about being a children's pastor. It was a talk about being a parent. And about a minute into this talk, I started to forget that I was there as a pastor and wonder about my role as a parent. I started to get blindsided and thinking about my role as a parent and really thinking about, I have got to get this thing right. Because you don't get a second chance at it. And I started in that moment to forget about leadership principles and all this stuff and just started to think about my two kids and am I getting it right? Reggie Joyner, who who wrote the uh, book I have at the bottom of your bulletin notes is a recommendation called Playing for Keeps. And some of the stuff I say this morning comes out of that book or out of his talk. But that day he had a jar of marbles on a table similar to this one. This jar of marbles has 936 marbles in it. Mary's nodding her head. Someone had to, someone had to count. Sorry, Mary. 936 marbles in it. Reggie Joyner said when a baby is born in their church, 
they often give him a jar of marbles with somewhere between 936 and 950 marbles in it. And they tell the families in the, that they give this jar of marbles to that between the day your child is born and the day they leave for college or the day they graduate high school, you've got roughly 936 weeks with them. And then every week that goes by, take a marble out of the jar. And as the weeks go by, the jar gets lower and lower. And as a year goes by, the jar gets lower and lower. And you get a visual representation of the time that you have left. And at first I thought, wow, that's kind of morbid. But then I also realized it's pretty biblical. Psalm 90, verse 12. Psalmist says, Lord, teach us to number our days aright, that we might have a heart of wisdom. Number our days. Uh, Reggie Joyner, they're so passionate about this, they have another way to uh, help parents and uh, realize how much time they have left. They have an app that they've developed. And so I've got this app on my phone, right? And, it, and I can open it up, and it'll tell just how many weeks, days, hours, minutes, and seconds I have left. So I can open this app up, and, and that one's Isaac's, but this one on my phone, i got to open it, it's Isabella, and it's counting back. I've got a little more time with her. I've got uh, 359,897,119, 18, 17, 16 seconds left until she graduates. And it kind of seems like a lot until you realize it started at 936, and now it's down to 439. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot. And you realize that the time that you have is passing quickly and this season will not last forever. So Reggie Joyner, he has a couple points that he draws from this. One thing he says is this. He says, when you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now. When you see how much time, when you get that visual representation when it's not just, oh, today is, you know, I'll always have tomorrow, I'll always have the next day, but you have that visual representation. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now. And it's true, right? If we recognize that there's only so many marbles in the jar. And one day, one week, you pull the last marble out. In your time of influence over that season of their life, over them maybe being under your roof, being there is not there anymore. He also says this, he says, when you see how much time you have left, you tend to make what matters matter more. The little things aren't that as important, but when you see how much time you have left, you tend to make what matters matter more. Those things that are important, those things that are significant, all of a sudden they matter more, and the things that aren't that important just aren't that important because this is how many marbles we have left. He gives another metaphor, which I think is a good one. He said, sometimes I'll tell new parents when their baby is born, when they bring them home, make sure you put a suitcase in the nursery. It's a reminder that you're packing their bags from the day they first move in. And it's true, right? I mean, we say this about adults sometimes. We use this expression. We say, oh, you've got a lot of baggage, or I've got a lot of baggage, or where did the baggage come from? Your parents have been packing your bags since the day they brought you home. <laughs> I hope there's some good things in those bags. And if you're a parent today, you've got an opportunity to kind of pack those bags. 
You know, what are you putting in those bags? What do you want to put in those bags? When you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now. Here's the principle I want us to really consider this morning. Here's what I draw from this. And I want to talk about this idea of loving your kids over time. And so I just, I want to really park on this statement for a moment. Making every moment the time of your life is not nearly as important as the life you live over time. Making every moment the time of your life is not nearly as important as the life you live over time. When it comes to your kids, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to those you influence in your life, making every moment the time of your life is not nearly as important as the life you live over time. See, we live in a world that feels the pressure, especially of parents. If you're a parent of young kids, you feel this pressure. We live in a world that feels the pressure to make every moment a Disney moment. Right? You know what I mean. You feel the pressure. Every moment has got to be the moment. It can't just be a birthday party. It's got to be an extravaganza themed, you know, with, with clowns and puppets. And, and it's got to be huge. It can't, you know, it can't just be a birthday party. We live in a world that constantly puts this pressure on us that every moment has to be the time of your life. You can't just take a trip to the park with your kids. No, you got to go to the park and then you got to Facebook it, you got to tweet it, you got to Pinterest it, you got to take pictures and text it out, you got to get home and scrapbook it and capture that moment. It was the day at the park. Right? I mean, you can't just have a day at the park. We live in this world that says every moment's got to be the moment. Every moment's got to be a Disney moment. Every moment's got to be a, a Hallmark moment. And you live under this pressure to do that. But making every moment the time of your life is not nearly as important as the life you live over time. Let me just say something about that social networking thing that we all have this urge, right, to, to Facebook, right, and to post it and to share it. We're out having a good time and everyone, you know, you feel this urge to post it. First of all, I would say that's a good urge because what that means, what that is, is there's an urge within us that overflows with joy in that moment, right? And if you're a parent and you do this, and you've done, that's what's happening, right? In that moment, there is an overflow of joy and you want to share it with someone, so you text a picture to grandma or, you, or, or your face, you, know, you, you upload a Facebook picture, you tweet a picture. There's an overflow of joy in them, which is good, which is healthy. That's great. But let me just perhaps submit to you that what we might consider before posting, sharing, tweeting, pinning, and all that other stuff, texting, what we might do just before that, maybe our joy ought to overflow to God the Father who gave us that moment gave us those kids, gave us that opportunity. Maybe before sharing it with our Facebook friends, we would share it with our Heavenly Father. Maybe before pinning it to Pinterest, we would just call up to God and say, thank you for what you have done, for who you are, for this moment, for this blessing, for this time. You see, we don't even... It's, it's funny today with all this stuff. We don't even have secrets with our kids anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, you, you don't, as soon as you've done it, you post it, you text it, you tweet it, everybody knows it. You don't have to go tell grandma about your trip to the park. They know about it before you got home. They saw it on Facebook. So did everyone else. 
We don't have any secrets with our kids. We don't have any, those, those times with our kids that we just share with them, we've lost something. You know, this idea that we've got to post it and everyone's going to see it and we present to the world, you know, the idea of the parent we want them to see. We don't, we don't post the times where we're screaming at our kids, right? I mean, you don't post that to Facebook, right? I haven't seen any of you post that. But I know what happens. I know what happens. Why don't we post that? We put up what we want people to see. Pastor Brian brought this up a couple weeks ago. Facebook's a, a billboard, not a diary. And so we put up what people want to see. What we want people to see, really. What if we just in that moment erupted in praise to God and left it at that? Just shared it with God. Just sent 144 characters up to the Lord and just left it at that. But we live in this world that tries to make every moment the moment. I grew up, and some of you that, that are around my age, we grew up with America's Funniest Home Videos being a part of our culture, right? We grew up with this show. We grew up, I, they don't even call it now, it's like AFV, AFV right? Now it's just, they've gotten real trendy, right? And, and so, but it was America's Funniest Home Videos when I was a kid, and you had to mail in a VHS tape when you wanted them to know, right? And so I grew up in this world, and, and it's kind of translated, it's kind of come along with us. You know, when your kid does something funny, one of your friends will say, oh, you should send that in to America's Funniest Home Videos. Why? Because then we can show the world that maybe you can monetize it. I mean, we got this pressure that we got to show, we got to share it, we got to, everyone's got to know about it. Why can't we just, why can't we just have that moment with our kids? Why can't it just be Tuesday? Why does it always have to be this incredible moment that's the time? Why can't it just be Tuesday? And we're just doing life together. And it's just Tuesday. And we're going to go through our schedules and we're going to live together. We're going to love each other and we're going to learn to love each other over time. You don't have to make every moment the time of your life. It's about the life you live over time. You know, and to know this is true, you don't have to look any further than knowing this is how God has showed his love to us. If someone were to ask you, how do you know God loves you? It's because of his actions over time that you know God loves you. You can read this Bible. You could say, well, it says in the Bible. Well, what does it say in the Bible? It says he was faithful to his covenant to his people in the Old Testament over time. What else does it say? It says he was faithful to the promises to his church in the New Testament over time. You might point to your own life. Well, God did this in my life. God did this in my friend's life. What is it? God showed himself faithful over time. And that's the only way to show love. You ever wonder why Abraham's called the father of our faith? Why is Abraham? Why? I mean, yeah, he was the first, but what's so special about Abraham? Because there was no track record before him. There was not, he couldn't look back and say, God, you did this for other people. He was the first. And so when God said, Abraham, I want you to do this. I want you to leave your family. I want you to follow my word. I want you. And Abraham said, I'll go. He's the father of our faith because he went and had no track record before that. He couldn't point to anyone else that this had happened to. And so later on in the Bible, you hear again and again, God says, I am the father of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Why? What he's saying is, I have proven my love over time to these people, and I will be faithful and loving to you. And it's the only way you and I as a parent or an influencer over the next generation will be 
able to prove our love over time when they could say they've been there before. They were there in the past and I know they'll be there now. Love is only proved over time. You can say I love you all you want, but you prove it over time. Those of you that have been in a relationship that's gone bad, those of you that have been betrayed in a relationship, you know this is true. You know it's only proved and it's only won back over time. They may come back and say, I love you. They may repent, but it's only over time that trust is earned. And that's what happens. God, God, God shows his love to us like this, but Jesus did it too. Do you ever wonder why Jesus didn't come, just pick 12 guys, give a sermon, write everything down in a scroll, go to the cross, and go back to heaven? That would have accomplished everything. Why not? Why not just come down? I pick, you know, you 12 you're going to betray me, so we're going to get another one. You're going to take his place. And then, and then, and then I'm going to give you a sermon. And here's a, just in case you forget, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of writing it down. Here you go. And that way, you know, everything's right. And I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for your sins. And be, why didn't God do that? Why didn't Jesus do that? He didn't do it because he knew something that I hope we know too, he knew that disciples are made over time, not overnight. Disciples are made over time, not overnight. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples says this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. In that moment, would Jesus reveal his glory like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration? Would there be some incredible manifestation of God? Would he just show off in some way so that they would see God the Father and believe? His response to Philip, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, Look, you've known me over time. I've been walking with you three years. You know who I am, and because you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But Jesus knew something that we need to know too, and that's disciples are made over time. Whether they're born into your home, or born into your church, or they come to your Sunday school class, or they come to a Royal Ranger or a girls' ministry group you lead, or they come to your community group, disciples are made over time, not overnight. And that's the only way that disciples are made. 
And so you can't just snap your fingers and make a disciple of someone in your house, of your kids, or someone in your community group, or someone in your world. Disciples are made over time. And it's the planned moments and the unplanned moments. And sometimes we miss this, right? Because we buy into this myth that our society tells us that it can be quality time instead of quantity time. And it's a myth and it's a lie and it's a false dichotomy because there is no quality time without quantity time. There is no quality time without quantity time. Without you prioritizing the time that you have with someone, the time that we have, I won't see as very good quality. So it's the planned times and the unplanned times. And it's with Jesus too. Sometimes there were planned times, Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to teach you guys a few things. We're going to talk, you know, we're going to talk. He's going to give his long sermon. Sometimes, many times, they learned a lot from the unplanned times. Right? The unplanned times. Jesus is walking along the road and he's on his way to heal someone. He's been asked to heal somebody. He said he would do it. He said he would go. He's on his way and on his way a woman pulls on his cloak and at that moment she's healed and at that moment the only person that knows that she's been healed is her and Jesus and he could have kept on walking because he was on an important ministry function and he had something to do and some place to be and somebody he promised but he stopped in that moment and he said, who touched me? And the crowd around him said, how can you know? No, everyone's around you. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. Somebody was healed. And the woman comes forward and he, and he speaks to her and he validates her. And he says, woman, your faith has healed you. And, and he points her out. And in that moment, what his disciples learned is that interruptions may be providential encounters of God and interruptions are, are places for ministry and people matter to God. But it was just going along the way. They were on their way someplace else. Or these big fishermen who were out in the middle of a storm when the sea came some up and the winds came up and these guys that had lived their life on the sea all of a sudden are saying, we're going to die. And they call it to Jesus and Jesus says, peace. And the winds stop and the waves stop. And in that moment when they're just out in the boat, they're just out fishing, they're just going to the other side, they're just going about their life the way they would normally go, they learned because they were with Jesus that he has power over nature. Or another time when they're out fishing, they're just doing their work. They're just, you know, I'm going to, another Tuesday, going out fishing, I'm going to pull up some fish, we're going to go back, we're going to sell them, make some money so we can eat today. And, and that's just what they're just working. Just working. Jesus shows up and says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they, they throw it there and they pull it up and they can't even contain all the fish in it. And they call their friends over with another boat and it starts sinking their boat. And in that moment, just Tuesday, just learn, just, just another day, just fishing, just working. They learn that Jesus provides for all their needs no matter what. So if he calls them away from fishing, he can provide for their needs. But what do people learn from you when you're working? Your kids work alongside you. I mean, maybe they can't come to your office, but you work around the house. You work, can, they, can they work alongside you? I know it takes longer when they're there, but they'll learn something from you when they're working with you. They'll learn something from you one way or the other. So much of what Jesus taught was just learned over time. One night, they're standing around with dirty feet. No one's going to wash their feet. The servant's not there to wash their feet. They're all standing around with dirty feet. Jesus bows down with a basin and a towel and washes their feet. And just in that moment, just at that holiday gathering where they all stand around with dirty feet, they learn that following Jesus means being a servant, even if it means washing someone's dirty feet. 
they just learn stuff just by being with them. Just by being with them. Just love over time. It's not making every moment the moment of, you know, the moment of your life. It's living your life over time. Another time, you know, they're hungry and they went for, you know, they were walking on a journey and they're hungry and they go to get lunch. They go to the, you know, they go into the local Chick-fil-A or or McDonald's, whatever, and they're going to go get lunch. And Jesus, you want us to get you something? No, no, I don't need anything. I want to stay here. They come back and he's talking to a Samaritan woman who's been married five times. Just doing life, just getting lunch, just on a walk, just on a journey. And they learned in that moment that this, every person has value that people that they had prejudices against, people that they wouldn't associate with, has value in God's sight. But it wasn't, it wasn't a teaching moment in the sense of they had, Jesus had planned it out. I mean, maybe Jesus planned it out, but it was just, the disciples didn't think of it that way. They didn't think of it like, today I'm going to teach you about the Samaritans. It wasn't like that. It was just life over time. That's the way... That's the way kids learn. That's the way we influence people. They'll learn more over time just walking with you than they will if you make the mo- one moment the moment of their life. They were gathered at a holiday gathering all up in the room and that's where Jesus told them, I'm going to die for you. I love you. I'm going to the cross for you. Just life over time. It's not about making every, every moment the moment of your life. It's about living your life over time. So what do you do over time? What is this life we're called to live? How, you know, what are the things we're called to do? Um, we're certainly called to do the things that Jesus did, but maybe you say, okay, what specifically am I supposed to do? We're ending this series this week. We've been reading out of Romans chapter 12 all through this series, all four weeks. And um, I think that's a great great starting point. If you just look at Romans chapter 12, the verses we've been looking at the last four weeks, verses 9 through 21, and you just endeavor to live your life that way over time, I think your kids will start looking a little bit more like Jesus, and you'll start looking a little bit more like Jesus. You know, you start living like Romans chapter 12, and just verses 9 through 13. Think about this. If this is lived over time, 936 weeks before your kids, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. What if you just did that? What if just over time you lived that out before your kids, before those you have influence over? You just lived that out. I I looked at these verses this week and I thought, man, the one that parents want, one especially, verse 12, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. If your kids see that over time, that you have hope even when things are difficult, that you're patient going through affliction, that you're constantly relying on the Lord in prayer over time. Your kids will learn more about compassion and weeping. You know, the, later in this passage, it says, weep with those who weep. Your kids will learn more about caring from watching you wrap your arm around someone who's hurting and watch you walk with them, pray with them, and love them and serve them than they ever will learn from a hundred messages 
and the messages are important. I wouldn't be doing this if they aren't, but I'm just telling you, the messages complement the actions. And your kids will learn so much more by watching you rejoice with someone who rejoices and weep with someone who weeps. Your kids will learn so much more about compassion if during this time of year, instead of being so, uh, so much emphasis on what we're going to get and what do you want and what do I want and what does she want and what did they get us, instead of having so much emphasis on that, if this time of year they will have so much better understanding of compassion, if you say, what can we give? Who can we give a gift to? Let's go serve a meal. Let's go deliver a turkey. Let's go serve someone during this time of year and they will learn so much more about compassion than they will ever learn from a hundred messages. Love over time. And you do that year after year after year. You know what happens when they move out and they're 19 and they're 20 and they're 21 and Christmas time comes around? They think, who can I give to? Who can I show compassion to? Because this is what we do at Christmas time. This is how we love. This is who we are. But it's not one talk. It's not one message. It's not one. It's not a Sunday school class. It's not. It's love over time demonstrated through actions, patient in affliction. Your kids will learn so much more about patience if when they mess up, instead of you standing over them and yelling at them and judging them and condemning them, you are patient in their trial and their affliction. They will learn so much more about the patience of God and the patience of their heavenly Father when they see it demonstrated in you than a hundred messages. Constant in prayer. We'll talk about prayer. I preach on prayer. We'll demonstrate prayer. But your kids, if you're a parent, will learn so much more about prayer. If every morning that they get up, they see you. They see you in the Bible. They see you praying. They hear you calling out their name in prayer. They hear you at night when you have putting them down, praying for them. Your kids will learn more about being constant in prayer than a than hundred sermons on prayer. It was that way with the disciples, right? They saw Jesus pray. They heard him pray. They saw him pray for others and heal others. It's over time. Disciples are made over time. It doesn't happen overnight. And then there's this last one, and I, and I, I have to mention this one because so many of you have heard this one over the last few weeks, and some of you know what it means, but some of you are going, what is that heaping coals business? Right? It's in this passage. It says, it says this. It says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And we've been reading that the last few weeks, and some of you are like, what is up with that? It's all about love and joy and serving and sharing, and now we're talking about heaping burning coals on someone's head. It doesn't seem in line with the passage. And it's, it is when you understand a little bit of the background and the context. In Egyptian culture and, and ancient Near Eastern culture, one kind of strange practice, but I guess it made sense to them that they did, when there was a penitent or a change of heart or a change of mind, specifically, you change your thinking, one thing they would use as a symbol of that in some cultures, they would have a bowl on their head carrying hot ashes or hot coals around it, symbolizing that their mind has changed, that they went through a change of mind or a change of thought, and they have changed their way of thinking on something. And so what Paul is saying, look, when you are kind to someone, when you're kind to your enemy, when you are kind to your kids, when they're not kind to you, when you are loving, when they're not lovely, and all maybe... It works to heap coals on their head so they change their mind. 
So your kindness leads them to repentance, much like it does with our Heavenly Father. Kindness leads us to repentance. And they will learn more about mercy and more about kindness and more about grace when you show it to them than they will ever learn anyplace else. And so, living your life like this, Romans 12, over time, before them, you know, what's it look like in a practical way? I mean, it's different for everybody. But you've just got to figure it out, right? You've got to figure out what you're going to do with this marble. It's not about making today, you know, the most incredible day ever. It's about what do you want to put in this week? You know, you get a few of them, you get four of them. What do you hope they take out of this month? Is there one truth that you can invest? Is there one, is, is there one thing you can place in their life in this month? What about this year? We're coming up on New Year's. What do you hope your kids come out of next year knowing that they don't know now? Experiencing that they haven't experienced now. Feeling that they've never felt before. What are you going to put in this year? And so it looks different, right? How you do it practically. I mean, a couple things, you know, just practical things. One is, you know, meal times are great just to do life over time, right? But it doesn't always have to be dinner. You know, for, for us, we're more as a family around the breakfast table sometimes than the dinner table just because of my schedule. We try and get around the dinner table a lot, but a lot of times it's just breakfast. And you're there over time and you talk with each other and you, you don't have to make that, and we don't make that a classroom. <laughs> it's just life. There, together, consistent, over time. You know, one of the things for me that uh, someone gave me this idea, I was challenged by it and I've been trying to live it out and it just kind of works for us, is take your kids out on a birthday date. Not on their birthday once a year, but on that date every month. So my son was born on the 5th, so the 5th of every month, he knows we're going out. It could be as simple as just going to get an ice cream or so it could be more than that, but, but he knows that, that that's going to happen and I know that at least 12 times a year I'm taking my kid out each of them. Because if I don't make that intentional, I'll just, it's not going to happen. I'll just be like, oh, we're together all the time. You know, so it's, so it's, so it's being intentional. Days like that, playtime, you know, just, just playing together, right? And yesterday, simple example, yesterday, right? I was thinking about this message, and I had a lot to prepare, and I'm downstairs, and I'm preparing my message, and I come upstairs to, to get something to, to drink, and I'm working on this, and I see my son in his room playing Legos by himself. And I thought, something's wrong with this. I'm preparing a message to tell people about parenting and spending time with their kids, and my kid's up here playing Legos by himself. And I thought, forget it. I'll trust the Lord. He'll give you the message, and I'm going to play Legos. And sometimes you just got to do that, right? It's just, it's love over time. And, 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 you, and you do that. Let me just give you a couple more illustrations. I want to close with these. The first part of Romans chapter 12, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. How does this change happen? It happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change happens from the inside out. See, so often as parents, we look at our kids from the outside in. We want them to act like this, behave like this. Why aren't you keeping up with this person? Why aren't you doing this? This person's kid's doing this. Why aren't you doing this? This person, you know, we look from the outside in. Oh, don't act like that. What are they thinking? Uh, you can't act like that. And we're looking from the outside in. 
But the Bible tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed from the inside out. And your kids will be changed over time from the inside out. I heard a great illustration at the same leadership conference by a woman named Priscilla Schreier, Tony Evans' daughter. And she talked about popcorn. She talked about how popcorn pops. Some of you may know how popcorn pops. I didn't know how popcorn pops. A lot of you here are a lot smarter than me. You probably already know how popcorn pops. I didn't know how popcorn pops. I put it in the microwave. I press buttons. It pops. That's all I knew. I just assumed the heat on the kernel heats it up and popcorn just pops. But then I found out, but then I realized something. My wife has this, this bag that someone had given her full of corn kernels that she puts in the microwave and heats up and uses as a heating pad. And then I said, well, wait a second. How come that popcorn doesn't pop? Because those are kernels of corn and these are kernels of corn. How come my pop secret pops, but her heating pad bag doesn't pop? And Priscilla Schreier solved the mystery for me. Here's what I didn't know. The way popcorn pops is not about heating up the outside of the popcorn. The way popcorn pops is the inside of every small kernel of popcorn that is one small microscopic bead of water. And what happens is when you heat the popcorn in the microwave, it heats up that little bead of water. That bead of water changes forms, becomes steam and expands and pop. The corn pops. My wife's Heating pad is dehydrated, didn't have the water all taken out of it, so it's, no matter how many times you're going to heat it, it's not going to make popcorn. But here's the principle. It's the heat exerted on the inside, heating up what's on the inside that ultimately changes the outside. It's true of popcorn. It's true of us. It's true of your children. You're looking at the outside and you say, man, it still looks like a popcorn kernel. Looks kind of the same. Looks like yesterday. Looks like the day before. Looks like last week. But heat over time, heating up that inside, suddenly the outside starts to dramatically change. And you didn't see the tree growing. But five years later, you look back and you say, wow, look what's happened. Because of love over time. Because of love over time. Not overnight. Not in one moment. Not one teaching session. Love lived out over time is what made the difference. And so you love them on the inside and you, and you work for that change on the inside and you plant those seeds and one day you look back and you can't believe how that tree grew. Final illustration. Let me close with this. Beginning of this school year, I was driving my kids to school And it was a Wednesday. I know it was a Wednesday because on Wednesdays I have to be here a little bit earlier because I lead the devotions for our teachers in the morning. And so teacher devotions start at 8 o'clock. And so I had to be here at 8 o'clock and it was the first week I was leading. So I wanted to be here on time. So I left my house in Lowell at 7 thinking I'd give myself an hour. Um, But something happens at the beginning of the school year and something happens on Wednesdays. I don't know what the deal is, but traffic is just ridiculous. And I knew that. That's why I gave myself an hour. It's normally like a 40-minute commute on a normal, you know, normal day. So I gave myself an hour. But I'm coming from Lowell. I get on the Lowell connector, and I can't even get on to Route 3. If you know the place I'm talking about, I can't even get on to Route 3. Traffic is backed up on the connector, over the bridge, over Route 3, almost onto the 495 exit, and I'm going nowhere. And like 30 minutes later, I just make it to the 129 exit in Bill Ricca, and I'm like, there's no one going off the exit. I am moving. I'm getting off. 
And so I get off the exit, figure I'm going to cut through Bill Rick, cut through the Bill Rick, the center of the town and everything. It's going to take me, you know, a little bit in a different direction, but I'm going to go this way because, you know, I can get there and try and get there. Hour and 20 minutes later, I show up to school, show up here. Didn't make it for devotion, didn't make it for anything. Kids are late for school. Should have stayed on the highway. Would have made it on time probably. It would have broken up. Would have made it there. But I got off the highway. Why? For the same reason you get off the highway. Because you want to keep moving. Because there's something in you that wants to keep moving. You don't care if it's going a little bit in the wrong direction. You don't care if it's a little bit longer path. You just want to be moving. And we do the same thing with our families. We just want to keep moving. Why aren't you doing, you know, oh, you're, you're in this, we got to get our kids in that. Oh, your kid's done that, we got to get our kids. Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you keeping up? We just want to keep moving. But here's the thing, it's not about moving. When you're driving, it's about arriving at the right destination. And when our goal is just to keep moving, we sometimes can miss arriving at the right destination. Because sometimes your kid's going to be stuck in traffic. And maybe your friend's kid isn't. Maybe your sister's kid isn't. But your kid's just stuck in traffic somewhere. And you're tempted just to keep moving. But they will learn more if you just sit in traffic with them. And just say, we're going to wait. We're going to wait until you're ready to move on. I'm going to be patient with you. Because it's more important to me that you arrive at the right destination than we just keep moving. See, the Bible looks at kids and children like an arrow and a quiver. Children are like arrows and a quiver. See, you want to take aim with that arrow and you want to hit the right destination. And if at the end of your child's life, you're a nice lady or a nice guy, you've got a good job, you've got a good education, They've raised some kids, some grandkids for you. They've got a nice home. They've got good friends. They've got all that, but that's all they have. Then you might have kept moving, but you might have missed the target. What does it profit a man if he gains the world and loses his soul? The target is when you aim the arrow at eternity. You aim the arrow at Jesus, and it hits. Now, you can't control that. And I want to relieve you a little bit. You can't make that decision for them. You can't make them love God. You can't make them love church. You can't make them do that. That will ultimately be their decision. But you can invest in their life 936 weeks of love over time to help them fall in love with their Heavenly Father and let them know how much God loves them. What's the target you're aiming for? Because ultimately, it's if they know Jesus and if they're on the other side of eternity with you in heaven, that's what's really going to matter. And this season won't last forever. But my prayer is that you and I will be wise in our investment, pointing our kids and influencing them towards Jesus and towards eternity with him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, God, I thank you this morning. 
I thank you that you are our heavenly Father. God, and that you are faithful, you are faithful, you are faithful over time. You have showed yourself time and time and time again and you have never once abandoned us and you have always been there for us and you have always showed your love and you have showed your love to us over time and I'm so grateful for that and we just want to praise you and thank you for that this morning. Thank you for being the model of what love over time looks like, of what a heavenly father, what a parent that loves their children looks like. Thank you for that, Lord. God, help us to be people who love our kids, who love those who we have influence over, grandkids, nieces, nephews, kids in our class, friends, kids. Help us to love them. We have an opportunity to influence them over time in a way that shows them how much you love them. God, and I also, as we close out this service, I want to pray for some particular groups of people this morning. I want to pray for those that couple here this morning that, God, they listen to this and it's hard for them to come to a message like this because all they want to be, all they want to have is that opportunity to love kids over time. For some reason, they haven't been able to have kids yet. God, I just pray for them this morning. I ask them that you would, God, that you would answer that longing in their heart to have kids or adopt children, but give them that opportunity to show love over time, that desire they have in their heart. Give them that opportunity to be able to do that to the next generation, Lord. God, I want to pray for other parents in this room who, God, many of the seasons that we talked about today have passed for them. And there's been times with them like me that you look and you go, I, I could have done better there. I didn't do my best. I feel like I, like I could have done better. And maybe they, they are feeling a little bit uh, under, they're judging themselves this morning. Lord, I ask that your grace would be so present and to recognize, give them freedom to recognize that we cannot make the choices for our kids. We can give them an environment. We can love them. But ultimately, they need to choose you, Lord. God, I just ask that for those parents that are feeling that this morning, that you would just fill them with your grace and your love. Let them know how you care for them. Let them know how proud of them that you are, Lord. God, and I pray also finally for that parent that's here and they don't have their kids under their roof every day. Sometimes it's every other weekend. Sometimes it's less than that. Lord, I ask that you would help them in the influence that they have over their children to love them in the time that they have with them. Lord, that we talked last week about these blended families. I ask that you would help them to show love over time in the situation that they are in, Lord. And they may not have every day, but the moments they have, that you would help them to, to show the love of Christ to their children in the moments that they have, God. Lord, would you relieve us of the pressure of making every day remarkable and help us to just be people who live every day as dependable and dependent on you. And we ask it in Jesus' name.